uh, also, just let me say, uh, let me say that we are in Mexico this morning, and yet I stand here. I am actually a hologram. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we have a team from our church in Mexico this morning that are ministering in Mexico. I tell you that because we are growing up. And I have uh, talked to a number of you about going to Mexico with us as part of our team. Uh, that stands. Let me tell you the criteria real quick for going to Mexico. Here's how it's going to go. If you say, well, I'm interested in going to Mexico, I'll say, great. What do you do in your church? That'll be the question. And then you get to answer the question. And what I'm really looking is to tie what you're doing here with what you might do there. Because if you're not doing it here, you probably aren't going to do it there. Now, that's not to disqualify people. That's to encourage people. If you have this something inside you saying, I think I'd like to do something in Mexico. All I'm saying is, great, your training begins here. That's all I'm saying. I'm inviting you into more here. Uh, <clears throat> there was a, a man years ago here that came up to me and wanted to go to Mexico. Um, he had been at the church for maybe six months. About a third of that time, he could barely sit in his seat from uh, alcohol use. Uh, but he was recovering out of that and wanted to go to Mexico, and that was my question. He said, well, I don't do anything here. I said, well, why don't we begin there? And he said, okay, what do I do? And I said, well, why don't you take over making coffee? He said, okay, I will. And he did. And I thought, wow, that's a great answer from a guy who's saying, I'd like to go to Mexico. So joining the book of Revelation, and it's getting and giving the revelation. The whole idea of, of this word revelation just means revealed. God has revealed himself. And what we have been talking about for probably six weeks is that God talks to people, and we are wired to connect with him in that reality. But he doesn't use burning bushes and Red Sea partings and all these things that we would really like to have. You know, something comes on, you know, follow the white rabbit on your screen or something like that. But the truth is, he redeems our thoughts, our ideals, he, rede he redeems desires, he begins to work in the place where we live our life. That's how he communicates. And I, I've given a number of examples about that. I was praying for someone uh, at the MLM, and I'm talking to this man, I'm praying for him, and I forget what he wanted prayer for, but it was something about discipling people. So I hold his hands, and I felt like God was saying, I am going to change his grip so he can grip onto people. So I pray that. I take his hands, and I kind of push them. I grip them. I said, God is going to heal your grip. He's going to change your grip where you can really hold on to people. And he just gets emotional on me and he starts kind of acting strange and everything. And, I'm, you know, am I, am I, am I warm? Am I, am I cold? Is he freaking out? What's going on? So I continue to pray some things. And then after this, he's emotional and he looks at me and he says, thank you for your obedience. It's always great to hear that, even if you have no idea what they are talking about. Thank you for your obedience, for praying for my grip. He says, I have no cartilage in my thumbs. I am in pain every day, and I can't grip anything. 
And all the time he's saying this to me, he's doing this with his thumbs. He said, now look. Look at what I'm doing. I'm like, you're moving your thumbs. I don't know what that means. Anyway, he says, I can't do this. And then he starts squeezing my hand. He said, I have no pain. God has healed me. Thank you for your obedience. It doesn't seem real, does it? It just catches you off guard. That's hearing from God. That's what God does. He operates from the place you live. That's where he wants to live with you. In the place where you do relationship, your feelings, your emotions. And I gave you these six points last week. Go ahead. We're behind. There you go. And again. I gave you these six points. Just ways to hear from God in the moment. We'll talk more about this. But invite him into your dreams. I pray and say, God, visit me in my dreams. Everything else visits me in my dreams. I wish you would visit me in my dreams. And you ever just think, just once, I'd like to have a dream that's just not weird and strange and depressing, you know? I'd like to have one where I, I didn't forget my pants and go to work, you know, or something like that where I, I, I pulled something off very well. Dreams and visions, invite those things. Some of you have had that dream, haven't you? All right. Listen to the inside voice for his thoughts. This is active. What are you saying? We have to practice. We have to work at this. Here's the reason why. Do you know how long everything else has been consuming your thoughts, your desires, your, your, your impulses, all these things? It hasn't been God. It's been ice cream and Starbucks and, and sex and, and every kind of other thing. And now we're saying, I'm going to let God into some of that. You're pushing things out. You have to push something out. You know, you have to say, you know, here's wants, here's desires, here's think, thoughts, here's all this stuff. And now I have to push some of my own thoughts out that there's room for God's thoughts. But he will do it. He will do that for you. And then words of wisdom, words of knowledge. When things are offered to you, as I think God is saying this on a Sunday morning, I think God wants us to do this. If you don't hear that for you, you're missing. You're missing out. Let it be about you. Go ahead. Um, preaching, teaching, witnessing. Whether the teaching is good or not, God can change you with it in a good way. I'll have more on that later. In our own circumstances, this is a killer. When we look at our circumstances and we just don't think deep God. If you stop with why, why does this happen to me? Why does this always happen to me? Why this? Why that? And you just stop there. And you will have a terrible, terrible, unfulfilling life in here. Because you're left wanting. God will answer many questions. A lot of times he just draws us through the question to the other side. Our circumstances, they are a place you need God. The good ones and the bad ones. My most heroic moments, here's the challenge. Do you hear that? My most heroic moments. 
my, my most heroic moments. In those moments, it was easy for me to see, wow, I'm all that. In this moment, at least, I'm all that. And, and God can say, not really. In that moment, I was all that. You're welcome. More and more, I had to learn my greatest victories were probably not authored by me. Are you okay with that? Are you okay that even when you're a rising star, no, not really. It was an image of Jesus that was on you. In your circumstances, can you learn that and be okay with that? All right, and then last here, um, read the scripture and ask God to bring it alive for you. If, you. if you read a passage, I have no idea what that said. If you walk away from it like that, you lose. Read it again. Ask God to show you something. Give you something. And he will. So the conclusion of this is that relationship... It's the, it's the connection system that God wants with you and I. It can't, be, it can't function completely in obligation, loyalty, and obedience. It can't function there in its whole form. You won't be able to serve God from your heart if those are the primary tools you use to serve him. Um, I call them, you know, duct tape and things like that, you know, because they are things that are truly helpful in the moment, but they are not what you build an entire relationship on. At some point, that relationship has to speak of stuff like desire and time, stuff that is heart stuff. At some point, relationship has to get to that level. So here's a, here's some questions for you. Uh, and you, you, I'm going to tell you to pick one, uh, but you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm going to add one on this next list here. I call it batch processing life with God. All right. So uh, do you connect with God once a day? Uh, That would be the second one. You know, morning, night, I kind of connect with God. I say a devotional. I have a little prayer. Um, You know, or uh, maybe, maybe it's really at church, you kind of listen a little bit, hang out with some people who may be listening a little bit, and you try to let God in a little bit at that point. So you're, pro- you're processing once every seven days. The other one is once every day or wherever you put that in. And the third one is, I connect with God when I'm in crisis, when I'm desperate, when I'm in trouble, when I'm in the yikes part of my life, oh God. Oh, God, help me. Now, there's, there's really nothing wrong with any of those three. We, re- we really need all of them. Um, what I'm talking about is processing with God all through your day. Being aware of him all through your day. We have an amazing capacity to completely forget about God. Uh, I mean, completely. So here's what I've started doing. I call them... I call them turning points. Uh, turning points for me are everywhere that I um, get frustrated, I get upset, 
I get excited. I get happy. I'm shifting from one thing to another. I have a difficult phone call to make. Anywhere that kind of changes my rhythm. I got to stop working and go to lunch. That's a rhythm change. Anything that changes my rhythm. Here's what I challenge myself to do. Think about God. Just think about him. I don't have to pray. I don't have to thank him. I don't have to meditate. I don't have to ask him what he's doing. But if I just think about him, it has amazingly changed my day. Just in that moment, I say, okay, God, you know, these two cars, one of them passed me and they're right beside one another and they're both slowing down. I know that's only happened to me but I'm sitting behind these cars asking what is wrong with these two people and is it their sole purpose in in life at this moment to annoy me? Um, And right then I know God. God. And I start changing immediately on the inside. God. And all of a sudden there's something different happening in me. I've invited him into my moment. And the more he's in my moments, the more I'm different in how I think, how I behave, and how I respond. The fourth one is, we really don't connect with God at all. And as I reflected on this for this message, the question came to me, what has Jesus done for you? What has he done for me? And it reminded me, I don't know if you uh, know this person. Um, uh, Go ahead and put the next slide up. Uh, Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Say that real fast three times. Zinzendorf, Zinzendorf, Zinzendorf. So uh, he was an imperial count of Zinzendorf and and Pottendorf in Germany uh, around 1700. And, and you may know, if you know anything about, if you've studied anything about missions or stuff, you may know uh, who the Moravians were. Anybody know who the Moravians were? The Moravians were an incredible missional people that were really kind of birthed out of him helping people come to Christ. He was a rich guy. He was born into royalty. He was an imperial count. But what he really was is someone who felt like he really needed to serve Jesus. And it was, it was brought together in this idea of what Jesus has done for me. What can I do for him? Now, that may not resonate with you. Actually, I'll, I'll have to say, it, it never really resonated with me. But it's a more powerful statement than we may understand. Zinzendorf's life became about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It became this reality that what Christ has done for me, he has done for others. And a small thing that I can do for Christ is help him tell the people around me of what he's done. Now, you hear the revelation here. He has received revelation, and he is now imparting 
revelation. It has been revealed, and what he's seeing is the smallest thing I can do for God is just do what he did for me. He revealed himself to me, his love, his grace, his acceptance, his kindness. And I have the capacity to reveal to others. And when he did that, and he just kept doing that with people, and he gave up being a count, he walked away from that to tell people about Jesus. Now, if you're curious about the Moravians, you can Google the Moravians. But here's the deal. The Moravians were a group of people that were refugees, all different types of people, and they came and they parked on his land because he made it safe for them because they were being persecuted. And then, in their understanding of revelation, the way Zinzendorf got it, they began to leave this land where they were homesteading to tell others, to reveal it to others about Jesus' forgiveness and his kindness. And they, and it just made sense to them, like it made sense to him. And they went all over the world. They were the first missionaries in this country. In Canada, in Greenland, they went to the corners of the earth. And they heard about all the slave trade in the Caribbean. And they decided they would go be missionaries to the slaves in the Caribbean. And people said, you won't be able to get to the the slaves. They won't let you. Here's what they said. There were two of them. And I can think of their name in a moment. But they said, here's what we'll do. We will sell ourselves into slavery that will put us in contact with the slaves that it may be revealed to them that Jesus Christ loves them. You see, they were taught by someone who gave up being a count who saw the revelation of Jesus as the most powerful and important information they would ever get. There's a voice inside you, and it can lead you. And in your circumstances, and when you have those moments where God speaks, it is very easy to brush that off. There's a moment in here when the Lord may speak to you by the Holy Spirit, but you get out of here without it touching you. I have uh, two clips, um, and this is where something powerful happened. We're going to call this a Holy Spirit experience because I have the microphone and I can do so. But you will see what it is for itself. Uh, So we'll see the first clip. This is out of Angels in the Outfield, one of my favorite movies. I should have given them a little more warning on that. You need a minute? You do? 60 seconds. You've got it. I'll set this up. All right. Uh, in Angels in the Outfield, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, the team, uh, who are uh, the California Angels, who are in last place and can't seem to win a game for anything, uh, a boy prays, and he prays, for angels, for God to help the team. And the reason he did is because his dad, he was, he was living in foster care. 
His dad said, he said, when, when are you going to come get me? He said, when the angels win the pennant. A nice way of saying, never. Well, he took his dad seriously, and so he asked God, help the angels win the pennant. And so he prayed to God, so I call it a Holy Spirit moment, and angels show up to help the angels. And as they began to empower the angels playing the game, um, obviously people know something is happening. So this is where, this is the response. You're going to see one of those interactions where the angels help them and then the response to that. Extra innings. Next up is Mesmer, who unfortunately has been hitless in his last 26 at-bats. Number 14, catcher. Here we go again. Okay, God shows up. We won. That's some of us. What happened? All right, so now he's going to inquire of these players that had these encounters. What happened and why did it happen? The coaches. Nice catch yesterday, Ben. How did it feel? Or did it all happen so fast you don't even remember Felt weightless like somebody had me by the arm, Skip. How'd I do that? It wasn't like a regular homer, no. It felt like someone was swinging with me. Very strange. I could feel some added power coming from somewhere. It must have been those chili dogs I ate before the game. You know, that third one tasted kind of funny. Chili dogs. See, two totally different responses to a power encounter. One of them is, how did I do that? You see, that's thinking deeper about what is happening. How did I do that? The other one is, I think of those chili dogs. That second one tasted kind of funny. And we're able to move on. You see, it's revealed, but we have to accept that revelation for what it is. And when we do that, then we can begin to change who we are in the way of desire, who we are in the way of how we feel about Jesus. How do we feel about him? Is he an obligation? Do we feel guilty because we're not living like him? How do we feel? 
in the scripture, um, this is in Luke chapter 7. It's, it's a bit of a long passage, but it's a story. We're going to go ahead and cover it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner, this is Luke 7, 36 through 47, uh, and this is the New International Version. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town that had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, he just thought this. Do you know how often Jesus answers your thoughts? Because why? Because our thoughts are where we're really living, isn't it? It's not out here. I sanitize everything before you hear it. But Jesus hears my thoughts. If you really knew, dude, you, would, you wouldn't be doing this. Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, now he's looking at the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your, fin your sins are forgiven. How much have you been forgiven? How much forgiveness have you received in your life? How much, how much has God saved you in Jesus and you feel that. And you love what it has done for you. We have another clip. This one's a little bit longer. Uh, and maybe some of you have seen it on Facebook. I actually got it from someone in this room from Facebook. But it really expresses some pieces. So I want you to pay attention if you would.
nice friendship is uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, we usually get together every once in a while to see what's going on in each other's lives. Just recently, a couple months ago, I just got married, and uh, Eric's been just full of advice uh, to really help my marriage out um, and really keep God the center. Matthew and I have a great friendship. Uh, he's just he's a great guy. Uh, we get together and, and get to talk about what God's doing in our lives, uh, what's going on at work, what's going on at home, just just everything about life we share together. There's a there's a bond, there's a there's a camaraderie um, that's there that's I think just unique. The, the, the memories that we have, the things that we've shared, have just been um, amazing. Um, to be honest, I wish that our friendship would have started under different circumstances. I work as a firefighter EMT. Um, I was just finished uh, getting off a 24-hour shift. Uh, we had an extremely busy shift. Um, I really only got about 30 minutes of sleep. I drove home and uh, I didn't really feel the need that I, I needed to pull over. So about two miles from my house, um, I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and crossing the center line and uh, hitting an oncoming car head on. I had just woken up uh, that morning and, and I heard a pounding on the front door. And so I went to see what was going on and. Uh, senior pastor from my church where I serve, Jeff, was there. He had told me that my wife and my daughter had been in a car accident. That I need to get my keys, get my cell phone, get my wallet, and let's go. So I grabbed my stuff. We jumped in the truck. We went to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, uh, the chaplain met us uh, in the emergency room and kind of walked us to the counseling room. The doctor began to share kind of what had happened, that June had sustained um, severe head trauma um, and, and some broken bones, and, and the steering column had actually been crushed in towards her abdominal area, and due to the injuries that she sustained, um, that she had gone into cardiac arrest almost immediately, uh, the EMTs um, did everything that they could uh, on the way to the hospital to try to do aggressive CPR and, and keep her going, but when they got to the hospital, um, they, they pronounced her dead. Um, my wife was also pregnant, uh, almost seven months pregnant uh, with our son, and, um, and we lost him as well. Faith, uh, who was 19 months old at the time, was also in the car, but amazingly, uh, she came out of it with, uh, with no injuries, just some mild abrasions and some bruises. Um, hearing, hearing the news, uh, just trying to process it, not only did I lose uh, my wife and my best friend, but I also lost a son. <clears throat> I went outside. Uh, to call my mom and tell her what had happened. And it's the most difficult phone call I've ever had to make. So here I was, I just had the worst day of my life. Um, and, and, and I opened my Bible and I was just like, okay, God, you know, what do you have? I just lost my wife, I lost my son. And I remember uh, a sermon that I'd heard oh, years ago just came back to my mind. And it was talking about how that, that there's, there's a bigger picture uh, going on, and that we have a tendency to to look at our lives as little three by five snapshots, and we tend to get focused on you know whether our three by five is okay or not, and 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 we lose sight of the fact that God is doing bigger things. His story is bigger than just ours. That He paints on the canvas the size of the universe. It was a turning point. I, it, I think it saved my life because if I was left to my own devices, my own ability to figure things out, I probably would have just crawled into my bed and just hid. Initially, I went through every emotion possible. 
Uh, it was really hard for me to come to grasp of how this could have happened to me and why this happened to me. I was a good kid. I was raised in a Christian home and how this could happen to Eric and his family. Um, him being a youth pastor and really living his life for the Lord. Uh, for the first couple weeks afterwards, um, it really broke me down to the lowest of the low. And uh, one night I just, I threw my hands up in the air and I just gave up and I said, God, I need your help. And, and I'm really trusting you and putting all my faith in you that you had a reason for this and that you do have a plan. And it was that, that moment when it was like he placed his hand on my shoulder and wrapped me in a blanket of comfort. Initially, it was tough not being able to talk to Eric because of legal issues. All I wanted to do was to make sure that he was okay and express my emotion and sorrow to him, and I couldn't. Uh, all everybody could tell me is that, that Eric was praying for me and wishing comfort upon me, and I really couldn't understand that, but I knew that that was God working through him. So I got a call from the Solicitor General, and uh, she was wanting to know how I wanted to pursue the case against Matthew. I could push for the maximum penalty, which possibly would have meant jail time, but would have definitely eliminated um, any hope of him being a firefighter in the future, or I could opt for a lesser charge. And I remember thinking that this, this would be a wonderful opportunity um, for God to get glory and for Christ to be um, lifted up. Uh, it's not gonna bring June back. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm certain he struggles every day, you know, just having to think through what happened. So I just decided to opt for the lesser charge uh, as an opportunity, again, to, to demonstrate God's forgiveness and God's love. The day before the two-year anniversary of the accident, I still had not spoken to Eric. I stopped at Poets to get him a card, just let him know that I was thinking about him and praying for him and his family. As I got out of my truck to walk into the store, I saw Eric walking towards me. There were just tears uh, streaming down his face. I, I, just, I just walked up to him and I gave him a hug. And um, we embraced for a short time. And then I began to share with him kind of what God had taught me uh, these past two years and, and about the big perspective that, you know, that God had given me. He began to share what was on his heart, and it was just, there was a connection. Um, there, there was a bond that was immediately developed, um, and we talked for an hour and a half to two hours, and it was just a, it was a beautiful time where we shared um, just experiencing God's grace, God's healing, the power of forgiveness, the restoration. Um, I communicated to him a desire that I had to, to stay involved in his life, to, to invest in a relationship with him, from this point forward, and he immediately um, echoed the same sentiment to me that that was something he had desired as well. And we wanted to just stay in touch and continue to grow in, in our relationship with each other as we continue to grow with, with God. And it was just to me amazing how God orchestrated all of this uh, together. I mean, we happened to be at the same place on the same day to talk for the first time. And I remember thinking, had we not met, uh, and had this conversation, we wouldn't be where we are today. In fact, it was an opportunity that God used to not only heal and bless us, but we feel like it's going to be one that he uses to heal and bless others as well. All I remember is Eric telling me that he wasn't mad at me, that he didn't blame me. And all I can tell him, could tell him is how sorry I was. God has taught me through Eric the power of forgiveness healing through forgiveness and his faithfulness. Me and Eric now share a bond that is unbreakable. And through Eric's friendship, my life has forever changed.
Now, don't think this is a rainbows and butterflies kind of story. Um, it's, been, it's been a rough road. It's been a lot of lonely nights, um, tremendous pain, um, thoughts of uncertainty and, and frustration. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish June was still here. But through it all, God has been with me. You know, I never would have wanted to endure what I went through, and I never want to feel that way again. But I am who I am today because of what God has done in me through these circumstances. And for that, I'm thankful. You know, one thing I've learned from this whole experience is this, is that God is faithful. And that when our little bit of faith would intersect with his faithfulness, God shows up big and does some amazing things in us and through us. Tough story. I realize when I show a video like this, there will be some in this room that this makes them angry with God. So why did he let that happen? Why would he ever allow such pain? And you can stop right there and you can walk out. But what God did in failing circumstances in a world where everyone dies. Everyone. Because he showed how powerful he is. And how he is, did not abandon June or a little boy or a husband. What kind of miracle is it that changes the heart of someone who lost so big. Now, I reflected on it. What did God use to change his perspective? Did you hear it? Where did he get the big picture story? From a sermon he had heard a long time ago. If you allow them, sermons go with you. And God will bring them up when you need them. And when Eric was sitting on the tailgate and he said Matthew had showed him how powerful something was. Do you remember? How powerful forgiveness is. He showed him the power of forgiveness. Now I I ask you, when Eric in his life is in a situation where somebody has truly, truly put themselves in a place in his life for him to hate them. Do you think that the example of forgiveness that he got will forever change how he tries to hold a grudge? You see, now he has seen and experienced what it's like to be forgiven much. He's been forgiven much. And it will forever change his ability To say, I won't forgive you. You have gone too much. Because what will come back in his mind is how much somebody forgave him. And they set him free. And they let him off the hook. And not only did they let him off the hook, but they blessed him. And they engaged in real relationship with him. And is now teaching him in his own marriage today. You see... 
That is an incarnational Jesus. For Matthew, he forgave much and he loved much. He forgave the unforgivable. He loved the unlovable. What we don't realize, what we struggle, because a lot of us try to live a good life. How much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? Sometimes maybe we don't realize how much we have been forgiven. And instead of accusing us, God says, I forgive you and I want relationship with you. I want to be in your life. I want to help you with your marriage. I want to do these things for you because I love you. Um, at the conference, the, uh, a friend of mine named Jamie Wilson, I have a picture of him and his wife. They are pastors at the Coast Vineyard in San Diego. Uh, I, this is the first time I met Michelle, his wife. But Jamie's story goes something like this. He was a party animal. He was in college in California. Grew up in church, hated church, swore off a church. He's over in California partying, getting crazy, and he's about this close to getting expelled from the university. And he's at a party, it's really at his apartment, uh, and he comes out of there and he, um, he doesn't know whether he tripped or passed out, but he hit his head on a planter, put a gash in his head, he had to go to the hospital. And when he got to the hospital, he, they had to work on his head, but they also had to deal with the alcohol in his system because they said if it hadn't have come to the hospital, he would have died from alcohol poisoning. That's how much he had consumed. For a long time, one side of his face did not operate because of the brain damage. He was a drug user and he was an alcoholic and he was self-destructing. And he had to go to the university and report in for... This was uh, university apartments, I believe. And they said, you have one of two choices. You're expelled or you have to meet uh, with this chancellor every week for the rest of your time in the university. Since he did not want his parents to know, he said, I will meet with the chancellor. And every week he would meet with the chancellor. And he said, I know I need rehab. I know I need this. I know I need this. And what the chancellor said is, no, what you need is Jesus. So he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to write down all that you use through the week, all that you drink, come back and bring it next week. And they did that every week. And he told uh, the chancellor that he was going to get his blank together. So every week, this chancellor would ask him, so have you gotten your blank together? And then one day he was in the chancellor's office and the chancellor said, God gave me a word for you. This is the word. You did not give your brother chicken pox. He gave them to you. 
Jamie got furious. He was so angry, he ran out of the office. He went home, he called his mother, said, Mom, I have a very important question for you. And he mentioned his brother by name. Did I give him chicken pox or did he give me chicken pox? She said, why do you ask? He said, just answer the question. She said, he gave you chicken pox. All his life, he thought he gave his brother chicken pox and his brother had died of chicken pox. All his life, he thought he had killed his brother. All his life, he lived under the guilt and the shame of that. So he goes back to the chancellor's office and said, how did you know that? He said, I told you how I knew. It's because God told me. He said, now I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something a little weird. I'm going to pray over you in a language that won't make any sense to you. And after I do, you will feel better. That's a pretty strange statement, isn't it? And Jamie said, he prayed for me in a language I did not understand. And all the weight and all the shame and all the guilt lifted off of me. All of it. And he was alive. And he had a girlfriend who was equally messed up. And she had actually been committed to an institution because of uh, her attempts on suicide. He goes over to the hospital and he checks her out. He has to sign a bunch of things. And when he's going to have her back and he says, I want to take you. Oh, the right after he prayed for him, he said, all right, Sunday morning, I'm going to pick you up for church. He went to church. They prayed for him. It was amazing. He goes and he picks up his girlfriend at the mental institution. He says, I'm going to take you to church. They're going to pray for you and you're going to feel better. She was born and raised in an atheist church, didn't want anything to do with it. And she was really concerned about her boyfriend who was now talking about Jesus more than sex. So she went with him to the hospital, I mean to the church. They prayed for her and this amazing power comes over her to set her free. This is all about God revealing himself. Do you see that? And so she with Jesus and Jamie with Jesus. And he, she said, it was, never, it was never a question in my mind what our next step was. We wanted to do this for the rest of our lives. We wanted to be in the business of revealing Jesus to people that don't have that hope. You know... For them, much was forgiven. Much was healed. So my question is, how much have you been forgiven? Do you know? Do you know how much God has forgiven you and how much he loves you? The kid, Eric, was a good kid. He said, I was a good kid. I went to church. But once he experienced forgiveness in a way he understood, 
How much have you been saved? How much have you been rescued? I think for most of us who come into this life with Christ kind of slowly hobbling along the way, I think we're still in the business of trying to figure out does Jesus really fit the, what I need? We're still trying to figure out if he's real. How he might fit into a life that we're really creating on our own. And in our times of crisis, we have our questions of why. But he is a God who has forgiven a lot. And he wants to love us. And without really having the power of that, we will always struggle at revealing Jesus. He will always just be something in our head. If you would stand, please.